<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. You're the mom, the maid, the keeper of the cookies. You do it all and you look good doing it. It's parenthood on a mother level. Here's your host, Denise Hanitka. Hi, everybody. I'm Denise Hanitka, and you are listening to a brand new episode of On a Mother Level. So glad you are back and that you are going to share this episode with a friend because this is a great interview. I had instant chemistry with my guest this week, and you are really going to love it. First of all, I want to tell you about what my week looks like so that you can connect with me on Twitter if you'd like. This week at work, I will be covering the Molly Tibbetts trial. If you recall, I did an episode over the summer. I think it's episode 47. It's called Molly's Movement. And it details uh, the little bit about the case and the woman who organized what became known as Molly's Movement in the wake of Molly's murder. Molly was an Iowa college student who was murdered in 2018. She was out running on a rural blacktop road doing what she did every single night. Her boyfriend says she ran every single night, sometimes as much as six miles. And prosecutors have charged a man named Christian Bahena Rivera with her murder, saying that he saw her, thought she was cute, turned around, followed her, stalked her, attacked her, stabbed her, and left her in an Iowa cornfield. Truly the stuff of nightmares. I remember when we were following the story because it was about a month before her body was found. And the unease that so many people felt when they found out the story that she was simply out running and she was attacked by someone she'd never met. Now at that point in the recording, my phone started to ring. I'm in the middle of covering an important murder trial. I'm recording the intro to this podcast, and I get a call from my kids' daycare that my Everett has fallen and split his lip open pretty bad. They tell me they can keep him comfortable. But as I'm standing here in the voice booth, I'm thinking, oh my God, how do I do this all? How do I do everything I need to do on such an important work day. I'm covering day one of the Molly Tibbetts murder trial. I've got a ton of responsibilities. But my kids hurt. My husband has some work responsibilities also. I know he's busy at the moment. And and you guys, I just I just wanted to leave this in there so you guys know that I get it. Oh my gosh. Being a working mom, trying to make sure that your boss is happy, your kids are happy, everybody's good, everybody's safe, nobody's bleeding. (laughs) But you can't be everywhere at once, right? So here's what I did. Because I'm a freaking super mom and I'm trying to do it all. So I ran and told my boss what was going on. I offered him a solution. I said, hey, instead of going live, I can record a few things, get all of my work done, but I got to get out of here. My boss is the type of guy who says, gotcha. And he literally said to me right at that moment, he said, your family comes first. And I said, thank you. You have everything you need from me. I'm going to get you taken care of, but I got to get out the door to my kid. So I went to the daycare. Everett, poor guy, was sitting there. His, he looks like he has really bad lip filler, like really bad, bad lip filler. He looks terrible. Um, he's got a little ice pack on his little face, and um, I decide I'm going to take him to the ER. So I get him to the ER. 
you know, it's you. It's those situations. If you've had a kid who's gotten hurt, it's usually harder on you than it is the kid, right? Because at that moment, they have all eyes on them. They may or may not be like in a little bit of pain, but overall, they just have no idea what the heck's going on. And so they know they have your full attention and you're like giving them movies to watch on your phone, which I never do. And everyone's fawning over them. So like, he's perfectly fine. Get him into uh, the ER to see the doctor. And right away they say he's going to be totally okay. He, um, not to be TMI, but he, he split that little like hangy do that's between your, um, your lip and your gums. And some people, like, clip that thing intentionally. So it's no big deal, but, I mean, it bleeds like a mother. He's swollen up like crazy. And um, so they checked his teeth to make sure his teeth hadn't gotten, like, rattled or impacted or anything like that. So they gave us the all clear to go and to give him some soft foods. And at that moment, and, I like, I hope, I hope the doctors and nurses understood because I'm, like, on my phone trying to send back some vital information. Oh, my God. Can you believe it? My phone's ringing again. I'm not answering this. <laughs> um, I'm trying to relay some vital information to my producers about some times and um, some stuff that was going into my story. Um, but I'm just, like, afraid the doctors and nurses were looking at me like, lady, your kid is sitting here with a busted lip. Get off your phone. And I, I just felt like I, this incredible need to justify myself. Like, I'm just tying up some loose ends. Like, everything is good. Sweetie, are you okay? Like, <sighs> everybody's fine. But look, I know, I know you know what this is like, whether you're a working mom or not. You just are trying to do it all. And, and I think it's, it's what I'm calling Murphy's Law for working moms. If there is an important work day, your toddler will bash his face. Okay, (laughs) that's the Murphy's Law for working moms. Okay, trademark it to me, whatever, copyright, whatever. (laughs) So I had a Murphy's Law moment, but everybody's okay. I got my work done. My boss is cool with it. I'm cool with it. I know. So I have two kids, um, but my next guest has eight. Working mom also. She stayed home during the bulk of the time that her kids were very little, but she's back working now. Her kids are ranging in age from 24 to 12. She has eight of them. Count up eight. And so she gets it. I mean, she knows what it's like to balance all of them, all of their needs. And um, she, I had such a great vibe with her. You guys are going to love this conversation. So um, without further ado, I'm going to get to her. Her name is Regina. Um, I adore her because she is a big fan of the podcast, but she's also one of those people that you immediately start talking to her and you just feel comfortable. Like you just kind of want to tell her all your stuff. (laughs) So I know you guys are going to like this conversation. We just cover it all. From being a newlywed and um, uh, wanting to start a family and being told that she likely would never have kids. And then all of a sudden now, um, here she is 20-some years later, and she has eight kids. And she talks a lot about what it's like to be the mom of eight kids, not just like the um, you know the, the ins and outs of, of structuring your day, but like dealing with other people's commentaries all the time. And she, she, she offers some, some very simple solutions to some of the commentary that you might get if you're even the mom of four or five. So I think it's a great conversation. I hope to have Regina back again because uh, she really is wonderful. So follow along with the podcast, please, at On A Mother Level on Instagram. Slowly more of you are finding us, and I appreciate it very much. The highlights will include some picture of Regina and her family, and maybe I will throw in a few pictures of Everett and his um, lip filler. Okay, guys, here's Regina for a great conversation about motherhood times eight. I just wish wish that I had something like this when I was a young mommy. Oh, I just, I mean, I listen to every single one of your podcasts and it's just like every single one is just this light bulb moment. Like, Oh, I so could have used that, you know? Oh, oh, I love you for saying that. Thank you. Oh, it's yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I do really take that to heart because I do think that not just me, but like this generation of moms is like doing it in a way that's going to help the next generation. Absolutely. 
vulnerability. That's it right there. You know, I mean, I was just, I'm just about generation, you know, where you didn't talk about it, you know, you just sucked it up and you were a mom and, you know, you put on that fake smile, like, yeah, it's all going well. And nobody ever talked about, you know, God forbid you have, you know, problems in pregnancy or prenatal depression or postnatal. I mean, so I think that's what it is right there. And I think podcasts also, you're not, face-to-face with other women or other people, you know? So I think you you guys share a lot more. I did have something called mops and I think it's still around. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. And that, you know, that was secretly, it was wonderful because it was free babysitting and it was a hot breakfast. So they, (laughs) we would get there on once a week on Tuesdays and you know, drop your kids off and then you could sit and have breakfast and then you had a guest speaker and, you know, but, and that was my saving grace. Definitely those first couple of years, but. I wonder though, if it was still like you're tiptoeing around and not wanting to be the one who says the negative thing or not wanting to be the one who's, you know, raising any kind of a fuss. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I was already, I was already feeling like, um, I was targeted, you know, because I had, five, six kids at the time, you know? And so it's like, I always felt like, how dare you complain? Like, well, you, you know, you had all these kids, you know, just, I was really careful not to put on that fake smile. I'm like, oh yeah, it's all good. It's all good. You know? Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. So let's lay the groundwork here. Eight yeah. kids. Yes. What, what is the age range? Youngest, oldest. Okay. So our eldest, our first four are a year apart. So okay. Keely is our eldest. She's 24. Timothy's 23. Annie is 22. And then Lily will be 20. And then we have two at, two at the high school and two at the middle school. The youngest is 12? Yes. Okay. Yep. Four boys, four girls. Yep. yep. Okay. At the busiest, you had four under five? Yes. Yes. I actually, I have a picture. Um, I took them up to Olin Mills. It was a studio years ago and I had four in diapers just for a tiny, tiny millisecond. Whoa. Um, yeah. And so I, I had them all like in their diapers and had a picture taken. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, and I mean, I, I think I told you this fun fact, you know, we were told we could never have any. That's so fascinating. How yeah. did like, yeah. what led to that being told that? Well, um, you know, just like everyone else, you know, you start trying and, you know, nothing happens, nothing happens, nothing happens. And so um, it was actually just my direct um, obstetrician at the time. And back then, I, all you did was a blood test. He called back and I remember he just said, your chances of getting pregnant are very low. And he indicated something about adoption, you know, and of course I hung up the phone and I was just in tears because, you know, I'm from one of 12 and that's, I mean, I breastfed my dolls. I mean, I knew from a very early age that I wanted to be a mommy. We went to a fertility specialist across the bridge and he had Brian go get tested And this is really, it's so strange how everything worked. So at the time there was uh, a husband and wife team, they were uh, urologists. Well, the husband passed away. And so Brian couldn't get into, you know, for a long time. Well, then they had this man that they filled in for this um, urologist. And he said, here's the deal, Brian. He's like, I'm from the West coast. We're much more progressive than, you know, he says, I'm going to put you on Clomid, meaning the guy, the male. And he's, and Brian's like, okay. And he's like, because you don't run the chance of multiple eggs when the man's on Clomid. So what does it do for them? I know what it does for women, but what does it do for man? Well, my husband's going to kill me if we're talking about this. So, you know, there's four different parts to that test. There's, oh, you don't have enough swimmers. There's, oh, you have swimmers, but they're swimming the wrong way. Um, and he had two out of those four Okay. and it was so long ago, Denise, I couldn't even tell you what those yeah. two were, yeah. but you know, he was basically saying he's, I remember he said, give the Midwest about five to 10 years and they'll be putting men on Clomid. I've never heard of it. No, I've never heard of it. 
you know, kind of the same thing that we heard all the time. Oh, it'll happen when you don't think about it, you know? And so basically he's like, go home, buy your, uh, buy your wife a couple of bottles of wine and we'll see you in three months because it would take <laughs> three months for the Clomad to, you know, okay. and then I, at the same time, I was having trouble with my pituitary gland. Yeah. So we had to get myself figured out and Brian, yeah. so we had two inseminations and then we um, were ready for our third. And what he said was, we only do three. And then once that, then we take you to the next step, the next fertility step. Fun fact, I had another something going on. Um, so we're like, well, let's just take the month off. She said, because you're having this little minor surgery, you're probably not even going to ovulate because you're just going to be. And I'm like, okay. Then when I called the following month to get an insemination, you know, they take the blood work and she calls back and she's like, you know, you're pregnant on the phone. She's telling me this. I remember I hung up and I ran to the store and I bought Chinese food and I made a dinner for Brian and I put a little note on his plate, you know, and, and so for a couple months, we had to stick with the fertility specialist. And then after that, he was like, I'll see ya. So I went to the regular doctor. So then after our first was born, Keely, we asked the doctor, how long should we wait before we go back to the fertility specialist? Cause you know, we probably want one or two more. <laughs> and he said, Oh, your chances of getting pregnant while breastfeeding are like getting run over by a train twice. Cause I was solely breastfeeding, no cereal, nothing. Which we know now was terrible. Yeah. Enough. Yeah. Yeah. So went in for my eight week checkup and guess what? I was already pregnant with Timothy. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Yeah. Plus yeah. you for having sex within the first eight weeks. I mean, sorry. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. That was like, <laughs> leave me alone. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so then after that, it was just like, you know, and I don't know, I had, I had a very good friend at the time that was suffering from fertility and she had gone to the exact same fertility specialist, you know, and I just, I felt so guilty. And then I had a friend whose little girl passed away of SIDS. And so it was just like, I was very careful not to be like, you know, oh my gosh. And then I started getting very sensitive after about the third or fourth baby, you know, oh my God, are those all yours? And do you know what causes that? And, oh. and then, you know, like when we go into restaurants, people are like, okay, those are his and those are yours. And, you know, they think like we're a blend like a Brady bunch moment. So I'm going to, going to make a little handbook for moms that have over three children. And it's just, you know, what you can say back. So when they say you got your hands full, you say better that than empty. And then when they say, you know, oh my gosh, do you know what causes that? My husband loves that question because he's like, yep, I'm on chapter four and I'm loving it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's good. But truly one time it really, so my little girl, Keely, she's our eldest. Um, I remember I pulled up to a Walgreens and she's like, mom, can we just sit in the car? And I'm like, no. And I said, why? And she goes, I just don't want to go inside because, you know, they're going to do that thing. And I'm like, well, what? Well, they're just going to count us. And then they're going to ask us all those questions. And that just pierced my heart, you know, because she I, would, I would never, ever walk up to someone with one kid or, to, you know, and say, oh, you can have more, you know, but it's just, right. it's like, I have this poster on me that says, hey, I'm fair game. You know, yeah. I think that really got to me when she, when she said that. And she also, bless her heart, she wants to make a movie about large families that doesn't ha surround chaos. Cause you know, the two Steve Martin yeah. movies, it's like food fights. It's, you know, and it, it's, I mean, I have friends that have two kids and their, you know, house is a disaster and there's chaos, you know, you can lick off my floor 90% of the time, you know, beds are made, things are picked up. I mean, people just assume that it's chaos because you have all these children. Right. When in fact, so. actually it probably requires that level of organization and yeah, stuff to be together. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, it reminds me of when um, John and Kate plus eight used to be on TV. Mm -hmm. People would always criticize Kate for being, you know, so orderly and, oh, John has to deal with her. And I'm like, I don't know. Homegirl has eight kids. Like, 
Yeah. But, you know, I was sort of like, I don't know, like, how else is she supposed to do it? Is it supposed to be like mm-hmm. party time all the time? Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm so glad you said that because I am a Kate fan. He would just drive me nuts. If I mean, obviously, if I weren't married to Brian, I wouldn't have eight children. I mean, he is he's right in there. He gives baths. He changes diapers. He does homework, you know, and I just I, I could not be married to someone like that. You know, he. And I know that it's TV and they, you know, they chop stuff and they cut stuff out, but you know, he just had that, you know, just kind of sitting, hanging out or, or he'd purposely, it seemed like rile up the kids. So she had to be the, you know, the big disciplinarian and yeah. Right. And I think there's a lot of stuff we don't know about them. And obviously like their dynamic is really like, you know, unraveled. And so not to like speculate too much, but, but yeah, I remember that being such a criticism and I thought, I, I just don't know no. how else this woman is supposed to survive. Exactly. You know? Exactly. But, but I think you make a good point about the images of large families on television are chaos or yeah. what's in the headlines right now is the Duggars oh. going on with the Josh and everyone oh. like, it's because of their religion. They have a totally wonky, you know, and all those yes. things may be true, but it's still the image out there yes. of eight kids. She must be in a cult. Is that what people right. probably say? Oh yeah. Or she, yeah. She wears her hair in a bun and a skirt. Oh yeah. Right. She's yeah. subordinate yeah. to her husband who makes her have these kids. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You know, I keep up with the latest fashions. I used to be a real a runner every day, exercise and that, you know, I think that's really important, but um, yeah, I mean, I know everybody has to deal with some sort of, oh, that's, that's the way it has to be for that family. And, you know, like even people who have the 2.2 kids, you know, there's sort of a, I can't think of the word that I'm looking for a stereotype. Yeah. I just, when Keely said that, I was like, you know what? You're right. Does not have to be chaos. You know, and we used to get complimented all the time when we would go out to dinner and they're like, oh my gosh, your kids are so well behaved. And, you know, and I'm just a big proponent of they get to wear jeans one time, once a year to church. And that's on good Friday. The rest of the time I'm like, no, and they, they don't even ask anymore, but that's, I was a big stickler about, you know, your appearance and your dressing nicely and that's how you behave. And so after mass, we would always go out to a nice restaurant and, you know, they would, from an early age, they would order, you know, make eye contact, order your food. You know, they knew how to use utensils for the most part. We didn't allow them to get up and run around the tables, you know, and, um, they, and believe it or not, has come back to thank me lately by some of my older kids, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah. And I remember I used to get asked all the time, do you make their clothes? No, I don't. I don't. Oh sew. my gosh. All the um, questions. Yeah. And I, anybody will tell you too, whenever they say my name, they're like, oh my gosh, she used to match. She used to match. And I did. I color coordinated a lot. And here's why. So when I was a little girl, you know, my mom was in a horrific car accident and um, uh, my dad was left with, you know, six of us to care for while she recuperated in the hospital for a long, long time. So think about this, you know, in the 70s, here's my dad. He had no clue how to do hair, long hair, no clue. And so I look back at like my first grade picture and oh, it's like I have this most mismatched shirt on and like my hair and, you know, so I really think deep down psychologically that has a lot to do with why when they were, you know, not so much anymore, but when they were younger, you know, I would always make sure their hair was done nicely. And, you know, I did the matchy man, not so much matchy, but like. I would color code like we'd all walk in in shades of red or shades of blue. You know, it was just my thing. Did it make you happy at the time? That's right. That's right. right. Yeah. Right. I don't want to get too far off topic, but this is like on my on my mind today. Yeah. When you talk about the concept of being fair game, okay, so you walk in somewhere with eight kids, you're now fair game for questions, okay? Mm -hmm. And I've I've had that on my mind today because this week I posted on Facebook about how the the Navy now has a maternity flight suit, okay? The article had the, the picture of a smiling woman. She looks maybe like six, seven months pregnant. Holy smokes. Flight suit. And, you know, the article was just like, hey, like the Navy's trying to do better for its women. They have this suit, you know, so they can be in uniform. 
not be in an oversized man's jacket. And, you know, and I thought, what, what is controversial about this? Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, all the comments on there were like, um, is it safe for her to be flying right mm. now? Um, I'm not sure she should be dealing with the altitude. And does anyone know about G forces? And I thought in my head, like, there is no one who wants to protect that baby more than that sailor. And Absolutely. yet all the comments are like, everyone's assuming that she's about to do something to hurt mm. this child. When in fact, no one cares more about that child than her. You know, there's something about pregnancy or motherhood that makes women fair game that mm-hmm. they must they must be trying to hurt their child or they must be about to make a move that's going to be negative in some way. And 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 I feel like I feel like that's very very common with the way men especially can look at women where it's like where it's like, well, I hope she's not planning to do this. I hope she's not, you know, going to do bad that. And I don't know, it just, it just really riled me up to watch these comments come in one after another. And I'm trying to stay out of these Facebook fights, but one after (laughs) another for these men to be going, does she have any business doing that? And it was like, what? Yeah. Yeah. So that's my rant about women Mm -hmm. and being fair game for like Mm -hmm. criticism that she would never lie in no. a way that would hurt her baby exactly exactly yeah and the, in yeah. that picture she was clearly happy and proud right. to be wearing this uniform mm-hmm. and to me mm-hmm. that was case closed well and I was very fortunate in that I had healthy pregnancies I was healthy I mean obviously if I you know the doctor said hey you know you shouldn't you can't have anymore you need to you know I'm not like just this machine like okay let's do another one let's do another one I mean every single one of my pregnancies you know, I, I knew what I was getting into, so to speak, you know, and I'm sure that was a question too. (laughs) Yeah. We thought we actually thought we were good at six. We had three and three. We were like, okay, this is good. And then I decided I, mom was going to go back to work. I'm a teacher. Our church had a school, but it was only kindergarten through eight. And so we decided to do a preschool to try and get, you know, more kids into the Catholic education. So we literally took a convent and turned it into some classrooms and preschools. So, I mean, we worked our duffs off. Brian did the wiring with, he, you know, we painted, we did everything. Oh, and my little boys were going to be in the preschool. So I don't know, end of July, I pass out in church, right? So I get to the emergency room and they're like, did you run the Bix? You know, I'm like, yeah, no. And, you know, <laughs> so they ran all these tests because I was severely dehydrated And the doctor comes in, he's like, you know, you're pregnant. And I was like, what, what? So that was, that was a shock. That one was tough because we had just made that whole transition that, you know, mom was going back to work. This is how it was going to go. And then when Brian and I started talking, I'm like, you know, I have to be the same mom to this child that I was to all the others, you know, and nothing again, you know, it's just Brian and I personally, I was going to be a stay at home mom. So that, that was tough, you know, to make that transition back to a stay-at-home mom. Yeah. How did you handle that? It was tough. I taught until December and then I was due in March. And so um, my little, my three-year-old, I just brought back home with me. Cause I was like, yeah, I'm not putting a teacher through that. Cause he was in my class and he was crawling under tables and, you know, he was not ready. And, uh, but my four-year-old, we just decided, you know, he was Thomas, he, he needed that and he really wanted to stay in preschool. So he stayed in preschool until obviously, um, Chloe was born in March. So then number eight was just like a nice round number. You know, we never really, Brian and I never really sit and go, okay, let's try, let's do, you know, it just, I think I'm, I was so affected by chance or thought of being infertile to imagine a life without being a mommy that I never, ever, you know, now I shouldn't say never, ever. I mean, there were times when I'm like, oh my God, if I'm pregnant, if I'm pregnant, you know? Um, But I think, I think with Chloe, when we had Chloe, we were like, okay, there's such an age gap. And I just didn't want whatever it was, a girl or boy, I didn't want them. I wanted them to grow up with that same large family kind of thing. And so it wasn't that we tried, but we didn't, you know, 
not try. And so I was due on St. Patrick's Day. Now, how cool is that? You know, big Irish family. And so I just put it on my head. I'm like, there's no way. There's no way I would be lucky enough to have a baby on St. Patrick's Day. Well, I did. So um, that was, and then when, you know, when it was a boy, it was, I never found out with any of them, by the way, never. Because I could dilate, no problem. I could not push. To this day, I don't understand it. I mean, when they say, oh, just, you know, you're going to put your chin to here and then you're just going to pretend a bowel movement. I'm like, I don't understand. Or they tell you you're supposed to pretend you're a roll of toothpaste. That's what they told me. I was (laughs) like, I don't know what that means. (laughs) I didn't get that one. But I will tell you. So so when, after we had our sixth, my doctor retired. (laughs) We actually, yeah. When we got pregnant with Chloe, I was like, oh boy. So I found a midwife. She actually was a guest speaker at one of my mop sessions. She is a hoot. Her name's Rita Ledbetter. And she is just, oh my gosh. She is just, she, I'm not kidding, Denise. She will get up in bed with you and hold you if that's what you need. She is just, she's, she's a hippie and she'll admit that, you know, it's just, Hey, what's going on. And so she convinced me to go all natural with Chloe. Yeah. Mm -mm. I will be a poster child for drugs for the day I die. Like just say yes. (laughs) So, but I did it. I did it drug free with Chloe. Then I got my epidural with Liam and I just, uh, God love the women that can go naturally because it just, oh. Well, yeah. you know why they do it, right? They, they do it so that they can post about it on social media. Oh, is that why? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, no, it was. Whew. Well, with Thomas, like Thomas, when I got my epidural, I remember right after that, Brian and I were slow dancing. Like, you know, like I was having contractions and we were slow dancing and we were talking, you know, and it's just like that to me was just you know, I know some women are like, no, no, it's bad for the baby. Or I want to feel the pain. Not me, not me. I'll, I'll go ahead and slow dance. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I had two yeah. C-sections and I'll, I'd have oh, another C-section. I've had C I'll, I'll have another one all day. Really? They didn't okay. bother me. You know, there was something about, um, the idea of, well, for the, my first one was an emergency, so it, I didn't really oh. have a choice, but the second one was a choice, you know, because okay. they let you decide, okay, oh, okay. second, do you want to try or do you want to not? And so Got I said, it. no, I kind of want to not, um, <laughs> which was everything that I, that I absolutely needed. But, um, but yeah, something about the predictability of the incision in your guts seems better than mm-hmm. the unpredictability of any sort of tearing that happens in other places. So it's like, at least we've all agreed that this mm-hmm. is where we're cutting and this is where it will stay. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Fourth degree episiotomies. Awesome. See, I'm not comfortable with that. I swear to you. I, I know for, a, I don't know for a fact, yeah. but I, I feel comfortable saying that a C-section was probably easier. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the last baby, I was begging Brian to go to Bernard's and get anything and everything. Cause they don't, they, they don't do the vacuum anymore, you know? And I don't know if you, you girls probably don't even know what that is. And yeah, well, they wanted, they wanted to vacuum Abram and I said, Oh, did they? Yeah. Which yeah. is how I ended up with a C-section. Okay. That's it. Okay. Wow. Yeah. I had heard vacuum horror stories. And so when mm-hmm. the word even was thrown around, I was like, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. Well, and forceps, Brian used to call them salad tongs, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, I'm pushing and I'm pushing them. I mean, I would go, oh my gosh, two and a half, three hours. And I just be like, just get them, just get the salad tongs, just get them. Where are they? Where are they? You know? And like with Keely, so I got preeclampsia, toxemia. Okay. Went in on a Monday, got induced, didn't deliver her till Friday. Lily, she's our fourth. I lost a ton of weight, was in the best shape of my life with Lily, was like down to like a size six pant, was like, seven months long. And I was still wearing my pants, my size six pants. And like, it was just, I got so, believe it or not, I got so tired of people saying, Oh my gosh, you're so tiny. You're so tiny. So I went to my doctor and I just started crying and I'm like, there's something wrong. And he's like, and I'm like, no, no, I just, I feel it. I feel it. He said, okay, let's have a sonogram. You know, you're a little small on the small side. Sure enough, he calls me like, three hours later, he's like, we need to get this baby delivered. And he was, he was this calm, calm Irish doctor, but I could tell there was some fear in him. 
And uh, it was called at the time inter, inter uterine growth retardation, which it's like, holy smokes, wow. you know, it's primarily it's poor prenatal care. So it's your women who are cocaine addicts or that, you know, and <laughs> did not fit that. I mean, went to every, the minute I was yeah. pregnant, I would go to the doctor and, you know, so um, at the time Peoria came once a week to Trinity instead of you flying the bait. So it just so happened that that was, so he induced me on a Monday. I did not deliver till Wednesday night. Um, so again, it was just, you know, and then, so they prepared us, you know, they're like, the baby's probably not going to cry because the baby was measuring 11 weeks behind in some of the organs. And what it does is your umbilical cord basically stops giving the nutrition that the baby needs. And unfortunately, a lot of times it goes undetected and the baby dies in the womb. So, um, they had us all prepared, you know, you know, this baby probably will, you know, so I pushed her out and she cried immediately. She had Apgore scars of eight and nine. Um, and I remember the doctor was from Peoria. So he had never, ever met me before. And he said, who are your two angels, mom? And I looked at him because, you know, I lost two brothers in a car accident. And he said, somebody pushed her out of heaven. And she has a birthmark on her arm and on her down by her little wrist and never she was absolutely perfect she had to stay one extra day in the hospital yeah yeah and to this day um I just I still keep in touch with my OB doctor and every time we talk he brings that up he's just like I thought I knew it all and I thought I was the doctor and you know it just He was so, so glad that, you know, you went with that women's intuition, which nowadays absolutely doctors do. But back then, no, I mean, the doctor knew best, right? Right. You wouldn't ever second guess a doctor, you know, so. Tell me about the brothers you lost. Well, actually I lost a little sister when I was in first grade. My mom was struck by a drunk driver. And, uh, so that was Mary, her name was Mary Colleen. And then, um, when I was in seventh grade, my mom had a little baby boy when he was born without kidneys, um, didn't know it at the time. So normally they don't live even in the womb. A lot of times they don't usually make it through labor and they usually, you know, so he made it through all those steps. And, uh, that was back in the day where they just life lighted him to Rockford. My mom never got to hold him or anything. And then they called and he had passed. And then we found out that there were no, no kidneys. So I have a little brother and a little sister in heaven. And then Brian and I were due to be married in June of 1993. So it was Memorial Day weekend, and um, I was actually supposed to have a wedding shower the next day. And so we had a big cookout at my house. My brother, Michael, he was 21 at the time, and uh, he actually was going to a um, wedding rehearsal dinner with his girlfriend, and he had a motorcycle. And I don't, I'm almost positive that my parents did not know they had this motorcycle because he knew how they felt about a motorcycle. And um, so he was returning home from the rehearsal dinner. And um, the only thing that they can figure out is he took a turn too fast. um, And and he was with his buddy, thank God. um, But the buddy couldn't find him when when he flew off the motorcycle. So the poor kid, you know, he's in shock. He could have easily gone across the street to a farmhouse. He drove all the way back to the party to get help. So by the time the ambulance was called, Michael, you know, had already passed. Well, the worst part about that is the police officer took his wallet and thought he was being transported to Genesis when he actually went to the other hospital. So there my brother is with no ID, you know, and then when they finally figured out who he was, my mom was a nurse at that hospital. And the coroner's like, oh, no, no, I'm going personally to to the home. Denise, I will never, ever forget the way our doorbell rang because it's never, ever sounded like that since. And it never was that before. So um, obviously, I was still living at home and we were all in bed. It was about 10, 30, 11 o'clock. And the doorbell just went ding. That's it. Not your ding dong. It was just ding. 
And so we get there and I could, I remember my dad standing there and he kept saying, you got the wrong boy. You got the wrong son. You got the wrong son because my other brother was out fishing all night. So initially when my dad saw the police and heard, I don't know what the, there's been a death or something. So then I came up the steps and I remember them saying, um, motorcycle. And so I was instantly angry with Michael. I'm like, what hospital is he in? Like, you know, and they're like, no, he's gone. So that was two weeks before Brian and I were married. Um, and so we lost Michael and then on labor day of that same year, uh, my brother, Timothy, he was just finishing up. He had a six year stint in the Marine Corps. And we had prayed through all of the first Saudi, you know, the originally Saudi Arabia, you know, um, prayed through that, prayed through that, you know, finally had him home. And um, it was Labor Day weekend. I was teaching and the principal came and got me and said, your dad's on the phone. And dad was in tears. And he said, there's been an accident. It's Tim out in California. Come home. So um, we all came home and the Marines were at my mom, mom and dad's uh, house and handed them, handed them airline tickets. So we knew it was bad. Um, he was stationed at Camp Lejeune. So mom and dad flew out there immediately. I had a younger brother and sister that were still really young. Okay. So we kind of held down the house um, there. And then by the time they got there, looking back, my mom said they just kept him, the, him on the machines so that mom and dad could make that decision. Oh, so wow. they held the phone and we all got to say goodbye to him over the phone. We joke about it because Michael being 21 got to heaven and was like, dude, what the heck do I do? You know? And of all my brothers, Tim would be the one to say, all right, you know, <laughs> I'll come up there with you. But, uh, you know, truly Denise, it was not until I became a mom that I really got the impact, the full impact of, holy moly, my parents have lost four children four children. Yeah. I don't know how do you wrap your head around that. kind Yeah. Yeah. And you know, back then you didn't go talk to anyone, you know, that's the other thing that I just think how different our lives possibly could have been if we would have gone to some type of counseling, you know, and talked through this and, you know, all of us have grieved my brother in different ways, man. Oh man. Like I said, it wasn't until I became a mom that I just, My mother is truly a living saint. She really is. Yeah. Well, you know, and that's what we talk about, about doing it better, you know, and it's not, you know, malicious doing it better. It's a, it's a learning experience doing it better, you Mm -hmm. know? Right. Right. I think about your mom losing the baby in the hospital and how now Genesis has a place where moms can grieve Yes. You know, in a more respectful way, you know, even, you know, that took two generations, but, but it's happened, mm-hmm. you know? Right. Right. Yeah. For the first baby, Mary, she lapsed into a coma. So right before she went in, she had lost her eye. My dad came in and he laid a rosary down and he said, Susan, we have an angel in heaven because Mary passed very quickly. So when she awakened from her coma, the funeral was over with. Like she missed everything, you know? So I think about that. And that was one of the things she asked was, what did you put her in? You know, what did she wear? And, you know, so she didn't even get that part of the grieving, you know? And, you know, we've talked about it now because we lost our dad four years ago. And um, I definitely, definitely can see my mom struggling with who am I now? You know, because I think for years she had to suppress that. You know, can you imagine letting that? I mean, that would have just, I would have curled up and said, you know, I'm done. Bye-bye. Checked out. But she still had us to raise. So I think now that, you know, she was a caretaker for my dad. He was in very ill health the last couple of years. And I think now it's like, she's, you know, maybe possibly starting to deal with those feelings. Well, and I know everybody has their stuff, you know, but sure. about what's bothering me today and the things yeah, right. hurting my feelings today and the things right. that are making me feel, you know, hopeless at times are not, yeah. just do not parallel to those things. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's, well, my mom would be the first to, you know, she also, she never, you know, 
whenever, and she never wanted anyone to like really feel sorry for her in that, you know, I mean, everyone, you know, when we would lose um, someone in the parish, you know, or, oh, but look at the Aherns, they lost four, you know, no, that's, you know, that's, that's not how we would want them to, to look at us, you know, um, yeah. and we say all the time, it was our faith, it was our parish family that pulled us through it. Yeah, so, I get that sense from you that faith is mm-hmm. huge. Yes, yes, yeah. 100%. Yep, yep. And I mean, I, we talk about them. My kids ask about them all the time. And that really, you know, from, I, I shouldn't say all the time, but when they ask about them, I, I love that part, like being able to tell them stories and, you know, saying, oh my gosh, if Mike were alive today, you know, he'd say this, or he'd love this about you, you know? So yeah. we definitely have their spirit living on. Absolutely. And when my dad was knew that he was passing, I think there was, there was definitely that, oh my gosh, I got four kids up there waiting for me. You know, Mm -hmm. I think he definitely was, he was ready, ready for that, ready to see those kiddos again. What are you learning from your mom right now? As you, as you watch her having gone through this, who am I now situation? First of all, immense, immense respect for her. You know, I would love to see her call up a friend and go out to lunch because she so deserves this time right now, you know? Um, especially with my dad being ill, you know, my mother-in-law is the exact opposite. We can't keep that girl. We can't, she's 80, 88 years old, goes to the Y every day. And then with COVID hasn't, but I mean, we can't keep track of her. She's like on the go, like, oh, there's a block party here. We're doing this. We're doing that. And that was really, truly what, you know, I wanted for my mom, but unfortunately her health has taken a different way. And she's, you know, now in a nursing home, unfortunately, but, um, you know, I see her at least twice a week and we have, you know, some deep, great discussions and, and, you know, she's my hero. And like I said, she is a living saint. She truly is. Yeah. I wonder if you're kind of feeling a little bit of that yourself as your kids get older and we all kind of, you know, get lost in motherhood and especially Mm -hmm. so many years. Yeah you know, are you, are you starting to think about who I am other than a mom? Oh, girlfriend, no. You are who you are. Uh Oh yeah. Regardless, you know? Yeah. First of all, um, no, (laughs) I want my husband back. I want my house back. (laughs) You know, I want to run through the house naked if I want to, I want to, you know, Um, no. And, you know, Denise, you know, my brother jokes with me because potentially we could lose five, not lose five children are making huge. Like we have four graduations. I have a daughter getting married and my, my brother's like, Oh, when do you start therapy? You know? Um, but I am embracing it. I'm looking forward to it. I think I mentioned to you, I saw a quote and it was about retirement, but I use it for me. It said, retirement is not the end of a road, but the beginning of a highway. And that's kind of how I'm looking at it. You know, I mean, finally, my kids are going to have their own bedrooms, you know, and I may just get a spare bedroom out of the deal. And, you know, and, and, and then also for the older kids, that's what's supposed to happen. I don't want them in my basement, you know, <laughs> living right. in my basement. I mean, I'm, I'm happy for them. And same thing. Like I did not cry when they started kindergarten because that's what's supposed to happen. You know, yeah. um, I don't have, and I think part of why, um, why, I'm excited for this is I don't have any regrets. I, I gave it all at the time when I was a mommy. And so, you know, like I said, I want my husband back and, you know, we're going to just, you know, dive into this, whatever they call empty nest thing together. Yeah. Okay. So, so talk to me about that. I want my husband back. Cause you guys have been married 28 years. Yes. Yes. Um, yes. Well, first of all, how, um, how many years were you married then before you had your first? We were married for four years. Okay. That's a good chunk of time. Yeah. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? That's a good good chunk of time. Yeah, definitely. So what what about those four years and that vibe do you want to bring? Uh, Well, first of all, funny backstory. Brian is nine years older than I am. Okay. And um, my father, when my father found this out, he went down to his local barber, right? Who you tell everything to. And he's like, oh, Ernie, he's like, you got to talk to my daughter. She's dating this guy. He's nine years older. So Ernie's cutting my dad's hair and he goes, well, John, I can't talk. I'm 12 years older than my wife. Oh, dang. 
So it kind of shut my dad up and we always joke because Brian will be the first to tell you he was very mature uh, when, you know, in his youth, he rode motorcycles and, you know, drank probably too much and, you know, party, party, party. And then when people would try and, you know, hey, are you going to get married? Are you going to have kids? He'd always say, oh, I want kids. It's the wife I don't know about. (laughs) So, yeah, we met on a blind date. And like I said, we we clicked right away. And when we were first married, we, we went out almost every single weekend. We love to dance, love to dance. Um, and you know, we would, yeah, we would go to clubs and dance and just, you know, it's just, and Brian, it's funny because we lived in a neighborhood. We still live in it. He built, he built the house and it was a brick, like four bedroom home. And it was, everybody had the 2.2 kids. And then here's this bachelor, you know, <laughs> so everyone on the block thought he was gay because, you know, he's, he's driving his Corvette. He had a Corvette and a truck and, you know, this cute little house. And, you know, we always joke, we're like, ah, yeah, well, that rumor's not true, is it? <laughs> <laughs> Getting back to your question, wanting my husband back, just, we used to take walks. Oh my gosh. We would take like six mile walks every single day and night. Not sure that he could possibly still do six mile walks. He has bad knees, but, um, gosh, eating a bowl of cereal for dinner, if I want to, or, you know, just saying a curse word or two every once in a while, or, you know, that's, that's what I mean by that. I mean, I truly feel sorry for every woman in America because I have the best husband. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. You missed Uh. out. Uh, <laughs> I am so beyond in love with him and, and, and I'm hope, and I think he shares that same. So, um, whatever we do, whatever we do after this phase in our life, I know we're just, we're going to embrace it and have fun. Yeah. Yeah. Are, are all 28 years fun? Every single one? Oh God, no. <laughs> oh no, no, no. I've, I've packed my bag several times in my mind. <laughs> And then I do the math for child support. And I'm like, eh, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> I am a fighter. I, I want to argue. I want to stomp. I want to close my door. I want to not talk for weeks or days at a time. And he won't. And I have tried so hard in marriage. And his big thing is, is this the hill you want to die on? And he gets me every time. But, um, no, I, we definitely, okay. That would be infuriating if yes. I was in a big rip roaring fight with my husband and he said, Oh, hill you want to die on. I'm like, I'll show you a hill to die. Darn on. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Let me take you there. I will drive you. And I think I did say that a couple of times, actually. <laughs> yeah. That is an infuriating response. Yeah. 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 And, and you're going to find Denise, you're right at that age in a couple of years where it's going to be more like when you're trying to parent and you haven't had that conversation yet. And he starts in on something and you're just like, "Mm, we'll talk about that later, dad. We'll discuss that late, you know? And it's just like, and the kids just, just think it's hilarious, you know, because he claims that he forgets if we talked about it, but I'm just like, no, we just went over that. We just talked about like my little girl wants to do this dance team at uh, the high school. And we have, Brian and I have always, always said, oh my God, it's so inappropriate. We would never have our daughters do that, you know, and, but they've, they've cleaned up. They've, it, it's not as sexual, you know, and, you know, we we're also, we got to go with the times too, you know, we aren't the Duggars, so to speak. So, um, we had made it crystal clear, like, nope, we're not doing this, you know, and these are reasons why. And then like, he just starts the conversation like, so, you know, did you, did you want to try out for that? And I'm just looking, I'm like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Yeah. Yeah. So you're going to, you're going to have that. I'm sure with your hubby with, you know, Yeah. Just having that meeting beforehand, before the kids, you know, (laughs) and going over that several times. Yeah. Right. No, we do not have the perfect marriage, the perfect life. We definitely, definitely had our, um, and usually it's when it came to birthdays and holidays, you know, how women just, you know, you think, oh, Valentine's day is coming up. I just know he's going to steal me away for the weekend. I just know it. I just know it, you know, and then you get the candle or something and it's like, okay, you know, but then you think about the 364 other days and it's like, yeah, but you know, when you have four kids in diapers, a a, a getaway would have been nice. (laughs) Right. I mean, come on. (laughs) 
have you ever read the love, the five love languages? Yes. Uh-huh. Have you read the one for parents? I have not. Oh, you need to do that. Okay. Yes. It, it was a really eye-opening for me because every, well, almost every single one of my kids have a, a different love language. Oh yeah. The combinations. <laughs> right. And so like Lily is definitely like, um, time alone. Uh, you know, just one-on-one like shopping or whatever. And one kid is like physical touch and what, you know, um, words of affirmation, but um, Brian is 100% acts of service, acts of service. Like um, every single morning, every single morning, he wakes me up with, well, it used to be coffee, but I don't drink coffee anymore. I do drink like those, you know, lose weight shakes or whatever <laughs> but he, he brings it to, you need to stop me. that yeah <laughs> he brings it in into bed you know and hands it to me and brings the paper you know that's just that is his love language is acts of service you yeah, know I like so, that yeah I like yeah. that I like I like rituals yes yes definitely definitely that's a good one that's yeah. a good one yeah I told my husband I wanted us to play racquetball on Saturdays. I wanted us to be the racquetball couple. And he said, and he said absolutely not. <laughs> not having it? <laughs> no. Aww. And anyone who I say, like, wouldn't that be kind of cool for us to be the racquetball couple? They're like, no, we wouldn't talk to you. any anymore. Really? Why? <laughs> well, I don't know. Maybe being the racquetball couple is nerdy. What's but... the stigma of that? I mean, I could be like ballroom dancing couple, but racquetball? Yeah. yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Like just yeah. oh, there's there's the Denise and Turner. They showed up again. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I, that's awesome. That's awesome. The other thing that I thought was cool that you mentioned um, before we talked is um, just the idea of having your own podcast. You know, I don't want to talk to you about that because I feel Why? like I'm stealing your. I, I don't want to steal your fire. Well, I, I mean, here's the thing: is nobody else has a podcast. It's just me. You know, in the whole universe, there's no other. Oh, right. <laughs> True. True, true, true. <laughs> well, maybe you and I could just be a duo. You could be the young hip chick and I can be the old lady. You know, we could have like a talk show radio. Like, I think no, what, a vibe. I really Oh do gosh, totally, totally. Uh-huh. Not that I stalk you, but yeah, totally. <laughs> I mean, I, I see your interest and what you do. Yeah. Um, fun fact, you were at Gordman's two years ago, Christmas oh, time. I was like, <gasps> Oh my God, that's Denise, that's Denise, that's Denise. And you are a hundred times more beautiful in person than you are oh on the news. Oh my God, thank you. you. Are, seriously, seriously. Well, you own that, thanks. you take that. <laughs> thank you, I will take that. Yes. I appreciate that very um, much. Well, so here's my thing. When I was a stay-at-home mom, I did not want to be this old frumpy teacher that came back to teaching and said, oh, where's the chalk and chalkboard, right? So while I was home, I got my master's degree. And then I got 30 hours of courses to stay hip. Well, guess what? No one will hire me because I have my master's. Oh, you can't get oh. a job in teaching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, so it's the biggest accomplishment in my life, but it's also the biggest curse. So, but whatever, that's okay. So um, I have been doing on Facebook 365 days of, I pick one person in my life that I'm thankful for and I post it, right? So everyone has been saying like, oh my God, Regina, you're such a good storyteller. You, you know, don't stop doing this. You should do, you know, and I'm like, I do, I do. I love talking. I love meeting people that and that, you know, and as I continue to try and apply for jobs and get told no, 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 no. I'm like, okay, fine. So what my podcast would be about would kind of be what you do supporting young mothers where I would be supporting empty nest, empty nesters. Yeah. You know, and, um, you know, I just, I think there's a lot that goes into it, you know, and just like you said, we could have guest speakers like you do. People could call in, they could be vulnerable and share what they're feeling. Maybe they, maybe they don't want their husband back, you know, maybe, (laughs) you know, maybe they want, maybe, (laughs) I know a ton of my girlfriends whose husbands have retired. They're like, don't do it, Regina. Don't retire when he retires. You know, you'll drive each other nuts, you know? So I don't know. I'm playing around with it. Um, My, when my kids hear this podcast, they will crack up because I am computer illiterate. Uh, (laughs) So to do a podcast, to to do anything with the computer is, you know, mind boggling for me. So I don't know. We shall see, but, yeah. um, I would definitely, it would definitely, um, be something that I would check off of my, my list that I would like to do. 
Well, I think that would be a very cool goal for you. And you think so? I can do to support that. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Totally. Okay. I mean, Perfect. there's a couple of things I've learned about the podcast world is number one, it's like unlimited. You know what I mean? Like yeah. the potential is unlimited. There are 47 million podcasts. And so like, why not you be one? You know what I mean? Why not? Um, yeah. It is um, a ton of work. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I like, mm -hmm. you know, record them and I edit them and, you know, listen to them all over again, you know, and, and, um, and finding an audience is hard. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Finding an audience, even with a built-in platform, like I have finding an audience mm -hmm. is still difficult because there's so, you know, I'm not just competing mm -hmm. with every other podcast mm -hmm. out there, but I'm competing with like watching the handmaid's tale or real housewives, you know what right. I mean? And <laughs> especially during the pandemic, I like a lot of my regular listeners will say like, I don't drive anymore. I don't commute anymore. Oh, you know, I used to listen oh. to you on my commute. I don't commute anymore. Oh. You know what I mean? So it's uh, like, you okay. like you have to, oh. and, and, and that's why I'm so grateful to people who do listen because I know an hour of someone's undivided attention is right. worth it. Right gold, you know? Right, so. right. Well, and I'm, I mean, I think I would struggle too, because obviously I'm, I'm, you know, a shy introvert, as you can tell, oh, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm already like thinking in my mind, like, oh my gosh, what did I say? How can, you know, did I say anything to offend someone? Did I, you know, should, did I share too much? Yeah. I think that would probably be one of my biggest struggles because my husband always says, honey, I love you, but you know, not everybody gets you, you know? <laughs> That's a delicate dance because yeah. I feel comfortable talking about me and myself, you know, mm -hmm. that's my yeah. story and that's my stuff. Right. But right. I do like, I would never share anything about Turner that he wouldn't share about himself. You know what I mean? Right. He's an extremely private guy. So, so while I think like the best podcasters, like leave it all on the table for me, I'm never going to leave it all on the table. Yes. That's just like, that's like yes. a super fast way to have everyone right. who knows me mad at me. Right. I'm really struggling. You'll get, you'll get a kick out of this. So like I'm, I'm working 30 hours a week. Right. And I love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Everyone is so like, you have to be so careful about anything and everything you say. And I'm the biggest jokester. Like, I'm always like, just, Oh, Hey honey, how you doing? Like I could be every single person's grandma. I just laugh. Like I, I just cannot believe how you just have to be so, so, so careful. And so I think that would be my biggest, uh, you know, I'd probably spend more hours after my podcast, taking out things and say, Oh, Regina, you can't say that. You can't say that. You can't. <laughs> well, I do. I honestly do hope the pendulum kind of swings back. Again. Oh, I know. We're in a kind of a bad place where we're starting to really withhold things that I, you know, of course, no one's advocating for hatefulness and no exactly. But I do think that conversations don't happen mm -hmm. and will continue yeah. to not happen yeah. the more yep. that we punish yeah. people for right. any kind of opinion at all. Right. Trust right. me, I'm on television every night and I'm like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. And, and with education, with the kids too, I always said the day I can't hug is the day I walk. And it's getting pretty close to that, you know, um, you know, we are, we're obviously with COVID it's completely different, you know, but, but I am not going to turn and say, Oh no, remember we have to shake hands instead or air pump. You know, I just, that just, <laughs> oh, you know, and especially with the type of children that I serve, I mean, it could be their only hug for weeks at a time. I struggle with that too, coming back into the, into the working world. <laughs> What? Oh, um, how do we want to end this baby? Well, I, I do want a great one, conversation. Tell me, tell me one more, one more, one more thing. Yeah. Please do this because it is the greatest gift you can give. When your child turns 10, you go out and you buy this really special notebook. Okay. And what's said in this notebook stays in this notebook. Okay. They can tell you anything. They can ask you anything. It's between you, not daddy. It's between you and what's your little boy's name? I have an Abe and I have an Everett. Okay. I'm thinking Everett's going to need it more. I don't know why. Uh <laughs> I sort of love that. You have the secret place. So when you see it out on your secret place, you know that he needs to either ask you something or talk about something and you just write it down. So I'm thinking I'm all that, you know, oh, I'm just the greatest mom. So the very first time my son uses it, he writes in, what's a French kiss? <laughs> Ah, <laughs> okay. Well, that's not that bad. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, but yeah, but it's so much better that you don't have to have that conversation in person, Yeah. but then your kids will keep that book forever. And they'll look back and just crack up like, oh my gosh, you know, remember this conversation that we had, you know, and it's just, it gives you an out and it gives them an out, you know, and that, that is one of my greatest advice to parents besides praying for your kids when you do their laundry. (laughs) Everyone has time to, you know, everybody does laundry, right? So pray for your kids when you're picking up Everett's sock and you're folding it over. You say, thank you, God, for his spirit and his never ending questions. And yeah. Oh, I like that. I like those both. So you bought, you bought eight notebooks. Yeah. Eight notebooks in circulation. Yep. I like that. And eight hiding spots. Oh my gosh. That's, that gets tough. (laughs) No, I really like that. I love the, the idea of, of giving like that safe, that safe place. Yeah. A safe way. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing um, that I want to do that um, my husband's mom did with him is um, everyone was granted a secret drawer. Ooh. And, and I'm not allowed to look in your secret drawer and, 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 and certainly not an invitation to like stash your meth in there, but I think it's more just like giving, just giving God, I love you. the power to keep us, to have a secret. You know yes. what I mean? The power yeah. to have the privacy. That's something yeah. I didn't have as a kid was mm-hmm. like a safe way of communication and a safe, yeah. and a safe yeah. right to privacy. And I think, right. I think that in itself builds the trust of not keeping your meth in that drawer. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, like not an out. It's like, I know that my mom trusts me enough to have this drawer. Right. Right. No, I think there's something really beautiful about both those things. Yeah, that's beautiful, but I cannot go there with the phones. So my daughter, she's in eighth grade. Okay. And the rule is at any time it's fair game. So she doesn't even, you know, it could be on a Sunday at two o'clock in the afternoon. It's okay, Chloe, give me your phone. And we look through everything, you know, that's okay that she knows that, that she knows, okay, at any time, this is fair game for mom. Now, if she were to have a diary or something, no, obviously that's, yeah. that's completely different, but yeah, I just, that is so scary. And I just feel so grateful at times that I only had that with the last couple ones, because <laughs> I never had that fight that you all have as, you know, when they're young with the too much videos and too much, you know, uh, time on the, whatever. I don't even know what the latest and greatest is. Yeah. That stresses me out. Yeah. Yeah. That stresses me out just because I know how addicted I am to my phone and to, you know, to let my kids have that same addiction. Like I know. Well, we're going to end this by me just telling you, Denise, that you just keep up this awesome work. Um, and I just want to reiterate that I just so wish you would have been in my life a thousand years ago when I was a young mom, keep it up. Just you're, you are amazing. You really are Denise. And you need to own that. I appreciate your kindness very, very much. And I appreciate you for listening. Okay. So here's what we're going to do. I mean, you're obviously coming back. Okay. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Are you serious? Well, cause here's the thing. I, I feel like I could talk to you. I mean, we could have, we could dive into the social media thing and kids, we could mm-hmm. like, yeah, we're going to have to start mining some topics and I'm going to have to oh dive into your brain a little bit. And maybe that will quench your podcast thirst a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> oh my, you have no idea. I'm like, so excited. I thought it was okay. going to be okay. Thanks. Bye. She's old. She's no, I really enjoyed this. And I think, I think you're going to cool. get some really great feedback from it. So I appreciate awesome. it very, very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much to Regina for that interview. I definitely want to have her back on. I would love to start throwing topics at her if we can all agree on a topic and she can give us her um, mom expertise on it. I think that would be really cool to have her back regularly. So let me know what you think about that. Also, if you're interested in learning more about the Molly Tibbetts murder trial, I will be covering it every day as it goes on in Scott County Court. So if you want to follow along, my Twitter is at DeniseWQAD. And if you're not on Twitter, all of my tweets are being embedded into the news stories every day on WQAD.com. So if you find that day's story on WQAD.com, all of my tweets are being embedded there in real time. So you can watch the live stream there or you can follow along with my updates, sometimes 50 tweets a day with all of the real time updates from the witnesses that are testifying in that moment. So if that's the kind of thing you're interested in, I got you. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening to this episode and for um, letting me vent about my 
Murphy's Law for Working Moms <laughs> earlier in the episode. I know you can relate, guys. Um, and so that's why I wanted to share that story with you. This is On a Mother Level, episode 80. When it comes to parenthood, we can relate. You have been listening to the WQAD Podcast Network.